Good morning, everybody. How y'all doing today? Good. I'm so glad you're here with us as we wrap up the series Radical. Before I jump into today's talk, I do want to say thanks to the dozens of our teammates who served yesterday to make the hunt, our family Easter experience, such a huge success. There were pink t-shirts everywhere in the field, which means people were serving and making a difference in that event. So thank you, thank you, thank you if you served and made a difference. And also thank you if you brought candy and we filled eggs using the candy you brought. You guys provided so much candy that I saw kids open eggs and they're like, wow, three starburst and one egg. That's the church we are. We tell people about Jesus and we give them three starbursts. That's our goal in life. So thank you, thank you, thank you for being a part of that. We had a great event in Port Lavaca and here at Parkway Victoria as well. So thanks for being a part of that Parkway Church. Today, as we wrap up our radical series, uh, we're gonna look at the fact that there's one thing that we can do that truly makes us radical. You know, we open the series by looking at radical purity how you and I can make some decisions as married people to stay faithful, 100% loyal to our spouses, have no substitute for your spouse. And we talked about how single adults can set up healthy boundaries when it comes to their own purity. And the push there was everything is permissible and everything's permitted, but not everything's beneficial and I won't be mastered by anything. And then Paul told the church, like he tells us today, You've been bought with a price, therefore honor God with your body. You have freedom, but your sexual like, purity matters. As a married adult, as a single adult, as a teenager, as a college student, your purity matters. So honor God with your body. There were some pretty radical thoughts thrown out there. And then last week, we looked at how we can make some radical decisions. Twice in the book of 1 Corinthians, one in 1 Corinthians 6 and one in 1 Corinthians 10, Paul gives us that everything is free for you to do, but not everything is good for you. Everything is free or permissible for you to do, but not everything is constructive. Twice he gives us that same decision grid. And so last week we looked at how we could make decisions based on glorifying God first, benefiting others second, and meeting our needs last. That is a radical way to make decisions in a world that's me first and what I want and my truth is my truth and my decision's my decision. You deal with it. But today we're going to talk about the most radical of things that we can put into our life, the most radical activity that we can live to truly show ourselves to be Christ followers. Because let's be honest, we can be faithful spouses and we can have healthy boundaries when it comes to purity as single adults. And we can make good, wise decisions where we put others above ourselves and we consider the, the greater good when we make a decision. But that doesn't necessarily make us radical. Because you can be faithful and you can be a good person with good decisions. And what's that make you? It makes you a Texan. Right? It makes you somebody to look up to, somebody to be respected. It makes you a good person. But do we all agree and realize that Jesus came to do far more than just make us good people? He came to bring dead people to life. He came to bring people who were far from God, close to God. And so what's the most radical thing that you and I can do? You and I can point people to Jesus. Paul was writing to this church in Corinth that was a very consumeristic church. 
They were devouring each other as they gathered together, even taking the Lord's Supper. They were hurting each other more than they were benefiting each other as they gathered in worship. They were a consumeristic church. They weren't looking to see how they could serve others, but instead how they could be served. They were a consumeristic church. They didn't look to see how they could grow in holiness. They actually allowed sinfulness to enter into their body. And so that's why Paul pushed them towards purity. That's why Paul pushed them towards wise decisions. And that's why Paul pushes them and us to say yes to his radical mission. Say, Mike, do you want me to be like those people that knock on my door on Saturdays? No, I don't want you to be a Jehovah's Witness. I want you to be a witness for Jesus. Say, Mike, do you want us to be like those people, those young men that, that wear white shirts and black ties and ride their bikes? And they give up a full year of their life to go on mission. No, I don't want you to be on a Mormon mission. I want you to be on a mission from God where in every way and on every day you're looking for an open door to share the radical message of Christ because he has made us radical messengers. So that's what we're going to talk about today. And this week, as we prepare for Easter, there's no better week for our church to be prepared and mobilized to share our faith so that we can invite people to join us and invite people to find life in Christ. What a week to prepare for that. If we're going to do it, first thing we need to know is that this is radical work. You can fill in that first blank. If we're going to point people to Jesus, this is radical work. Listen to what Paul says. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 11. Since then, we know what it is to fear the Lord. We try to persuade others. What we are is plain to God, and I hope it's also plain to your conscience. So what Paul says here is because we have a relationship with God, because we fear God, what we do is try and persuade other people to have the same faith. He said, you can look at us. It's not about us. It's about what Jesus has done. You can look at us. You know who we are. I, Paul, I'm a guy that used to kill Christians and used to try and persecute and stop the church. And now here I am spreading the message. You can look and see how I've changed. And because I've changed, because I fear the Lord, I want to persuade you to faith as well. One of the radical works that we do as believers and disciples of Jesus is to persuade others to believe in Christ. Not to manipulate, not to arm twist, but to persuade. In college, I was a speech communications major. And I took a class an entire semester. And the class was titled Argumentation and Debate. My dad saw my course schedule for that semester. And he said, kid, if you don't get an A in argumentation and debate, that means you didn't show up to class. Because you are like an A-plus natural in argumentation and debate. And in this class, we learned all sorts of techniques and all sorts of tricks to persuade people. Whether you go at them with a factual basis or an emotional basis, or you go at them to show how their argument is completely weak, and so you diminish and restate their argument in such a way that you persuade others. By the way, most every trick and technique I learned in like argumentation and debate I had to unlearn in my marriage, <laughs> right? Because there's, anyway, it's a whole different game in marriage than it is as we look at argumentation and debate at Sam Houston State University. 
But do you realize that even if you don't have that training, because you have a relationship with God, he calls you to persuade others to believe? That is radical work. Keep reading. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 12. We're not trying to commend ourselves to you again, but are giving you an opportunity to take pride in us so that you can answer those who take pride in what is seen rather than what is in the heart. See, what Paul is saying here is there's a group of people that are focused only on the externals. And we're going to be focused on what's unseen. We're going to be focused on what happens in the heart. And this is radical work. This is such radical work that in many ways, as we try and persuade others to believe in Jesus and to find life, what we're doing is, is surgery on their hearts. We are all heart surgeons as we attempt to persuade others to believe in Christ. Because nothing happens on the outside until it happens on the inside. Nothing changes with behavior. Nothing changes with our actions. Nothing changes with our experience until it changes on the inside. That's why we tell people that Jesus came and died and was raised again from the dead. Because if they believe that, then he lives inside of them and what happens inside of them is shown through all of their life. What we are doing is radical work because God calls people to believe in him and God calls people to follow him and never miss it. As we are trying to persuade others to believe in Jesus, we're not just talking about behavior modification, trying to make good people. Because what we're talking about is that faith decision that happens on the inside that affects the outsides. As you think about persuading your friends and family and coworkers and neighbors to know Christ, always focus on the heart of the matter. The behavior comes the change in life comes after the heart change. Can I also tell you that's true in raising kids? Sometimes in, as parents, we need to remember that we're focusing on what is unseen than only what is seen. It is really easy as parents to only focus on what is seen. And that doesn't always benefit the child. It is very easy to, to highlight the things that are still wrong or the things that kids are still working on, gaps that they're still dealing with in life. But just as we try and persuade others to have a relationship with God, looking to see what he's doing in their heart, can I just remind all of us that are raising kids or loving on grandkids that God is doing some things in their heart that we need to notice and celebrate and cheer on? And trust that if God is at work in their heart, that their behavior, that their externals, that their life will come to match it. Because you can't stop the work of God. That would have been a great place for an amen, just so you know. So this is radical work. And it, it requires a radical mindset. You could fill in that second blank. Paul's about to talk about being a Jesus freak. And he writes it this way. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 13. If we are out of our mind, as some say, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. So, you know, some people look at us and say they're out of their mind. They're so in love with Jesus that they are out of their minds. You need to disregard what they're saying. They are religious zealots. They, they are so extreme. This faith only, this belief only. They're so extreme, they're out of their minds. And Paul says, well, if I am out of my mind, it's because I love Jesus so much. 
And if in my right mind, it's so that I can explain my love to Jesus, for Jesus to you. Do you get it? Sometimes we are so in love with Jesus that it causes us to share more boldly and more openly with people, to be in the right mind. There are two excuses you hear over and over again when it comes to sharing faith. The first one is, I don't know what to say. Well, you've got a story, believer in Jesus. When did you come to faith? When did you say yes to Jesus? How has he changed your life since then? What is he doing now in your life? You have a story to share. And then the other excuse, I don't want people to think I'm one of those religious zealots. I don't want people to think that I'm one of those Jesus freaks. But did you see how Paul's writing in the ancient texts deal with our modern day concerns and excuses? He says, if we're out of our minds, 2 Corinthians 5.13, as some say, it's for God. And if we're in our right mind, it's for you. So when God is leading you and you're persuading and sharing and helping others see Christ, God is at work in that conversation. You're in your right mind. But then there's also the reality that when we share Christ, that is a radical, radical mission that we're on. And so we've got to look like we love Jesus. We've got to take it to the extreme and not just point to our good lives, but point to our good Savior. So the challenging question here, when Paul says, if we're out of our mind, as some say it's for God, and if we're in our right mind, it's for you, are you more concerned about what people think of you or what people think of God? Because if we are concerned about what people think of us, we will never be clear and bold and consistent with our verbal witness of Jesus Christ. If I'm concerned about what people think of me first, then I won't say yes to God's radical mindset for me. So the question, and then I'll move along, is your life and, your, and are your words consistently pointing people to Jesus? Because the radical work is heart work, and the radical mindset says that every part of me can point someone to Jesus. My work life can point somebody to Jesus. My family life can point people to Jesus. My dating life can point people to Jesus. Every part of me can point someone to Jesus. If I will simply be so in love with God and look for every opportunity to be in my right mind to share my faith. How many of y'all, when you're on social media, you get like Facebook messenger messages that say, this is a, like you need to forward this to 10 of your friends and you'll get a, a blessing. If you don't, you'll get a curse, right? It's the old chain letter thing. My parents used to get these in the mail, like snail mail. They would get these things. And I'm like, that, that sounds threatening. Call the FBI. Somebody just threatened our existence. If we don't send these along, just so you know, if you send something like that to me, it is definitely not going to get passed along. It is definitely not going to be advanced to 10 of my friends. If you post a Facebook meme that says, if you share this within 20 seconds, then God will give you a million dollars. I'm not going to share it. You know why? Because our God isn't a genie in a bottle. We just don't rub the lamp and he comes out and gives us what we want. And these, this idea 
that we can either earn or lose his blessing is one that we've got to fight in the church and fight in our own lives. But can I also say that if we're not careful, as I stand here and say, you need to share your faith with others, a radical mindset, some of you might think I'm preaching at you to to share that chain letter. Some of you might think I'm preaching at you to share that, to share that idea on social media that will not save and never will save. I'm not giving you something that I don't want you to share, and the Bible says don't share. What I'm giving you, and you can fill in this next blank, is a radical mission in life. One of the last things Jesus told his followers that we, is that we should go and make disciples. Go everywhere and make disciples baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to do everything that he's commanded. And he's with us always until the very end of the age. This is the radical mission of the church. And it's the radical mission of every believer in Jesus Christ. Parkway, would you agree that our church must reach out to and help people say yes to Jesus? Would you agree with that? Yes. Parkway, would you agree that we need to provide places and times and experiences so people can take their next step, like getting baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit? Would you agree with that? Would you agree that we must, as a church, teach everything that Jesus has commanded, even the tough teaching? Would you agree, Parkway? And then would you agree that along the way, we've got to trust him because he's the one that's at work Would you agree that he's the one that we worship and he's the one that we trust and he will be with us always until the very end of the age? Do you agree with that, Parkway? Then you have just said yes to a radical mission for your life. You have just said yes to a radical mission. And listen to how Paul writes it. These are our marching orders. 2 Corinthians 5, 14 and 15. For Christ's love compels us. Because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again from the dead. Paul says the way we see people now has fundamentally changed. Because God's love compels us. And God's gift, the cross of Christ, is what we share and what drives us to go out and be radical messengers of God. Because you and I have a radical mission that God loves us and God gave his son for the whole world to offer life to all who would believe. It changes how we see people. It changes how we see our life. 2 Corinthians 5, 16. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly view, though we once regarded Christ in this way. We do so no longer. What's a worldly view of people? Well, a worldly view of people is going to categorize them maybe by race. Let me tell you, there is no race when you see the love and the gift of God and the offer of new life to all people. That is a category that falls away and should never be brought back into the life of the church. There is no category of socioeconomics that limits the ability of us as the church to go out and share with people. There is no category, male or female, when it comes to sharing Christ because we see people in a different way because Christ's love compels us. There is no category, Republican or Democrat, when it comes to sharing our faith with people because God takes away every worldly point of view 
and says, Christ's love compels. And every man, every woman, every child's universal need for a relationship with God strips away every category. So we look and we see not somebody who looks like us or dresses like us, but somebody who needs a relationship with God that God offers. We look and we see someone who's not anything like us and, and how we look, how we think, and how we act. And we say, they need a relationship with God because God loves them just as much as he loves me. God loves them and he invites us to be a part of his radical mission. See everyone through the lens of God's love, God's gift, and the life that God offers. You know, there are many times when God comes in and does a little heart surgery on me. When my heart gets judgmental or my heart labels people. Whether I'm out shopping and doing something around town. And I interact with someone and I label them internally. And then God does this. He reminds me. I love them. I gave my son for them. And they can have new life. It's the craziest thing, y'all. When you know that God wants you to change how you see people, he will prompt you and, and convict you when you're seeing people not with his eyes, but with the world's eyes. That's why this takes a radical commitment. And as you fill in that last blank, we see this radical commitment in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 7. And this radical commitment that's required answers probably one of my biggest issues when it comes to being a radical messenger. This radical commitment says, it doesn't matter who you are or what you've done, even if you've got an imperfect heart like me who's quick to judge and label and categorize and put people in boxes. It doesn't matter who you are, what you struggle with, what you're dealing with, what is hard for you to do when it comes to obeying God. You can have a radical commitment to sharing your faith and helping others say yes to Jesus. Listen to how Paul describes it. Even the most broken and fragile among us can be radical messengers. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 7. But, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. See, God isn't using high-quality China to dispense his message to people. He's using jars of clay, easily broken, low in value. He's not using Ming Dynasty like relics to share the message. He's using people like you and me, everyday, ordinary people, jars of clay. So you don't have to be perfect to share the message of Christ, but you do have to be committed to sharing the message of Christ. Listen to what happens with that radical commitment. And I love seeing this with people. 2 Corinthians 3, verse 12. Therefore, since we have such hope, we are very bold. I love it when people realize that even their life can be seen as a lighthouse for Jesus. Because then they get bold in their relationship with God. And they get bold in their witness for Jesus. Sometimes when we are struggling 
there's no better time to share our faith because that's literally when we're trusting the grace of God in our life the most. Jars of clay, friends. 2 Corinthians 4, 16 through 17. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though we are out, outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. As jars of clay, we need to remember that these light and momentary troubles, the persecution that comes with sharing your faith, the light and momentary troubles, that reputation shot you take because you are living like a Jesus freak, those light and momentary troubles, health and struggles in life, because everything's not perfect after you believe in Jesus. But you get to live with the one who's perfect after you believe in Jesus. These light and momentary troubles are nothing compared to the glory of heaven. It outweighs them all. I love it. Paul gives us a beautiful word picture as you look at the scales, right? Our troubles are light, but our blessing is heavy. It outweighs them all. There is no trouble that can be put on the scale that's gonna out, that will never, ever happen because our blessing always outweighs our trouble. Our reward always outweighs the struggle. And because of that, 2 Corinthians 4, 18, so we fix our eyes on, what, on not what is seen, but what is unseen. Because what is seen is temporary and what is unseen is eternal. So we fix our eyes on what God is doing because that's the eternal work. We fix our eyes, not on the outside, but on the inside. And then one last verse. And we do all of this. And we're committed radically because 1 Corinthians 1.18 for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. Friends, this message, one minute you look at it and you say, that's foolishness. I could never believe that there's a God and he loves me. I could never believe that I'm a sinner in the sight of this holy God. And he gave his son so that I would have a relationship with him. And that this real guy died and they buried him, and this real guy, who was 100% God, 100% man, they laid him in a tomb, and three days later, he's alive. Like one minute, you look at that, and you go, that's foolishness. And then the next minute, you believe, and it's no longer foolishness. It is the very power of God at work to save you, to save you eternally, which happens the moment you believe and to save you from the trouble you bring about on yourself <laughs> happens along the way. Friends, there was a moment in my life where if you had said, do you believe that the message of Jesus is foolishness? I would have said two things. I said, first of all, what's the message of Jesus? Because I had never heard it. In our day and age, we must not assume that people have heard and know and responded to the message of Jesus because they haven't. I would have said, what's the message of Jesus? And then they would have told me, God loves you. You sinned. He sent his son. He rose again after he died on the cross to pay for your sins. And I would have said, ha, 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 ha. That's foolishness. Maybe not to their face, but I definitely would have done it behind their back. I had a group of Christians praying for me by name at school. So there's this one day where it was presented. In the foolishness of God, I believed. 
And you know what it became? It was no longer foolishness. It was my salvation. It was my strength. It was my message. It was my mission. It was my life. Friends, that's what we gather together today to celebrate and to be reminded of, that God gave himself for us. And as we continue in our service, we're going to take communion together. At the end of your pews, there's a, a basket. And you can distribute that basket along your pew. If you would like to have classic communion elements, uh, you can raise your hand and our deacons would be happy to serve you classic communion elements. Also in this time, if you need gluten-free communion elements, you can step to the back table and pick up your own gluten-free elements. But as we distribute the communion elements, you see movement in the congregation because communion is an act of the church where we come together and remember what Jesus has done and where we commit to the radical mission that God has given us. And again, if you would like classic elements, you can raise your hand. We'd be happy to deliver them to you here at Parkway Victoria. Everyone else that's struggling to open their communion cup right now, can I tell you that I learned a trick? If you pull down on the front little tab, don't pull up because that's going to cause you some trouble. If you pull down on that little tab, the top clear layer pops up easier. And if you need somebody that can use both thumbs at one time, I invite you to connect with a friend. But we're going to peel back that top layer. And we hold this wafer as a reminder that Jesus Christ died in our place. We hold this wafer as a reminder that the death we deserved, Jesus died. And because he died, we can live. When you have your wafer successfully extracted from your communion cup, would you raise it with me so I could see? And ladies, if you need to pull out your pocket knife to get it, no worries. Jesus, we do thank you for your gift to us of your body and your death on the cross. Thank you for dying in our place. And then we pull back. And this grape juice reminds us that Jesus shed his blood on the cross so that we could be forgiven. The aroma of the grape juice is like a fragrant offering to God. You smell it and you can taste the sweetness of God before it even touches your lips. Because Jesus died in our place and shed his blood for us, we are forever forgiven. And we have a relationship with God so that we can confess our sin and repent of our sin and walk with him all of our life as followers of Jesus. See, Jesus says, every time you eat of this bread or drink of this cup, you do it in remembrance of me. And you look forward to his return. This Easter week, we look and we say, Jesus, thank you for dying in my place and thank you for shedding your blood that is my salvation. Some would look at this cup and see foolishness. I look at this cup and see the power of God 
because he is my salvation. Thanks be to the Lord who shed his blood for our sins. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the opportunity to show and experience our relationship with you in this moment. God, I pray now for those that we need to impact with the very message we have just tasted and seen. God, I pray that as a church that we would reach out to and share with others this life-changing message of Christ. Church family, as we pray right now, I want to encourage maybe some of you, even as you sit here in this moment, to pull out your phone and to send a text or check in on Facebook and invite people to join you at church next weekend. Be bold. Maybe it's your kid, your grandkid, your coworker, your best friend that you've never shared Christ with yet. Maybe it's somebody that you dearly love and you want them to know for certain that they have a relationship with God and are walking with him in their life. Maybe you can text them or Facebook them right now. And as you text them or Facebook them, this is you praying and you taking a step to live out the radical messenger lifestyle that God has for you. As you do what you do, if you've never believed in Jesus, the Bible says that you're a sinner who needs a Savior and that Jesus is the Savior of the world. And he invites you to believe in him and to find life. If today's your day from, to make that great exchange, it's no longer foolishness to you. It is your hope. It is your salvation. Today's your day to believe. Let's mark it with a prayer you can pray. Jesus, I believe. I believe that I'm a sinner who needs a Savior and that you are the Savior of the world. Thank you for coming for me, for dying in my place and being raised again from the dead. Today, I believe. Thank you for giving me life.